2: I'm Zibbie Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at zibbie Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com where I'll always keep you updated on what I'm up to. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. Today's episode has been sponsored by Mini Rose, which is an amazing sweater cashmere company, which I am just obsessed with. It's named after Lisa Goldberg's grandmothers, whose names were Minnie and Rose. The knitwear company Mini Rose specializes in cashmere of all styles and colors. You can shop at minirose.com and get 10% off with code ZIBBY10, capital Z-I-B-B-Y. Uh, you can see some of the sweaters I've been wearing lately on my Instagram lives and uh, and try to shop those. They're so lightweight and comfortable and they fit great and I'm a huge fan. I interviewed Emily Henry via Skype during the quarantine, and I was a little bit late getting to this, and she was very nice about it. Emily wrote a book called Beach Read, which has been on every most anticipated summary list there is. (laughs) Emily writes stories about love and family for both teens and adults. She studied creative writing at Hope College and the New York Center for Art and Media Studies and now spends most of her time in Cincinnati and the part of Kentucky just beneath it. So get out your maps if that doesn't make sense to you and enjoy listening to our conversation. Welcome, Emily. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about your book called Beach Read when it is not yet beach read time. Oh, <laughs> will it ever be again? Will it ever be again? I know we're doing this in April. And yeah, I'm looking forward to your cover. <laughs> yes, curiously. Like a way of life. Could you please tell listeners what Beach Read is about?
0: Yeah. So I'll do my best. I, you might've noticed my book is rather long. I'm not short winded. So the elevator pitch is always tricky for me, but the basic premise is that an author, a romance author who has recently lost her father and found out some pretty damning secrets about him and her, her parents' marriage sort of loses her belief in love. And this is obviously hugely problematic when that is how she supports herself is writing love stories. So she's really, really late in turning in her next book. She hasn't been able to write basically a single word. She doesn't know what to say. She and her boyfriend break up. She's broke because she doesn't have income from her next book. And so she's forced into a situation where she has to actually go stay at her father's secret second home, which is a beach house on the shore of Lake Michigan, which I have gotten some reviews where people are like, I didn't realize this was going to be like a lake book, which if you haven't seen Lake Michigan, you do need to Google it right now, probably to know that it looks like the ocean. So it's very much, it's a very similar beach town vibe, at least in the summer. Winter is a whole different ballgame, but she's living in this little beachside town in this house that has all of these traumatizing, triggering pseudo memories for her. And she realizes that next door, her college rival from her creative writing program has been living. He's become a very successful literary fiction writer. He's sort of a darling of the industry. He's done everything, quote unquote, right, has his MFA. I honestly can't remember if he has his doctorate. He might have his doctorate. And they've always had sort of a contentious relationship where she's felt that he looked down on her and she's found him sort of arrogant and annoying. But because she's sort of there without any friends, anything to do and really needs to write a book, the two of them hatch a plan to swap genres and see who can write in each other's genre and sell it first. He's sort of in a rut too. So they take each other on field trips to kind of teach each other about what it is they do and how they research for their books. And I don't know, they may or may not fall in love. It's hard to say with the book categorized as romance. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's the basic pitch. It is to me, it's like very much a warm hug. There, there are some darker themes too. I truly cannot write a book without talking about (laughs) grief and death for some reason, but I really wanted to do that in like a safe confine, like just make it feel like you can handle these harder, heavier things in this very safe environment, which I think is what romance and women's fiction, you know, the lighter end of women's fiction are really great for.
2: I think that was a great elevator pitch.
0: (laughs) It's just a very long ride is that is the problem. Yeah. It's a very, you're going to the top floor. You're
2: in a skyscraper. <laughs> <Yes>. Skyscraper elevator. <laughs> I was struck by the theme of loss and how the main character had lost her dad and and like her mother having battled cancer. And there was a lot of, there was, as you say, a lot of serious stuff mixed in with the, the flirtatiousness and all the rest. And i it made me wonder if something in your life had led you to write about that, if you had lost somebody close to you, or if it's just a literary device that you like to use. Tell me more about yeah. that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because my second
0: YA novel also was about a girl who'd lost her father. And I'm very, I feel very, very lucky that my father, both my parents are still living. I have lost people, but no one as integral to my sense of self so far. But It is obviously one of my greatest fears, and it's something as soon as I could really comprehend death, it's something that I started worrying about because I'm extremely close with my parents. They're, you know, they're very, very young and fit in my eyes, but they're also, you know... They're in their 60s now. Don't don't tell them I said that. And yeah, I, I'm I'm super close with them. And I've I've lived in fear of that, sort of. And it's kind of strange, but I think I started really writing about death when I lost my childhood dog, was when I started really thinking about that. It's kind of strange, but for someone who's fairly introverted, a dog is such an easy best friend because there's so much silence. <laughs> there's so much just complete understanding without socialization, which is kind of funny. But That really stirred up a lot of the fears that I think I had been suppressing. And so it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about and trying to not think about. But writing has definitely been my way of coping with the things that I'm afraid of. And I did, I think around the time that I wrote this, I did have a family friend who had been diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, she's doing really well now. That's been a few years, actually, since I wrote this book but yeah, I mean, it's, it does kind of feel like when something happens, it all happens at once. And I I kind of wanted to investigate that because that's a really hard place to come out of when three or four things go very, very wrong in life instead of just one. And you, you just feel like it's really, it's really hard to feel hope at that point, because if just one thing really falls off kilter in your life and is out of whack, you can still have hope, but when you just start seeing thing after thing hitting you while you're down, it's really hard to start thinking forward to a time when you won't feel like that. And I think also like, you know, I'm a, I'm a fairly anxious person and I think the main trick of anxiety is it, it keeps you living in the past and the future. And I think for this book, it's like, you know, the message I think that I really would want people to take away is to find ways to grab hold of happiness in the dark, because it's really easy to worry. It's really easy to think forward or think back to the things that you have been through. And not that that's bad. You have to reflect and you have to face your emotions. But I also think it can feel, my phone thinks I said Siri for some reason. Um, (laughs) No, Siri, you're not welcome here. Yeah. I think it's just, it can be so easy to, to not allow yourself any little scrap of happiness or, or to feel almost guilty feeling any happiness when you're in the middle of that. So yeah, I think it's, it's something that I have been wrestling forward with in a way. It's like not my present. Like I said, I have, I have lost people and I've lost pets, <laughs> but I think the, the people who I'm most fearful, I know, you know, it's inevitable. Someday we all have to live without our person who has shaped us the most. And yeah, I just, I want, I'm always looking for ways to find beauty and meaning in the things that are the
2: very hardest, I guess. I worked on this piece of fiction a little while ago and I was talking to my husband about it and I was like, All right, well, I think I'm gonna have the main character's mom die. And he was like, You can't do that to your mother. And I was like, Well, it's not about <laughs> me or my mother. And he's like, It doesn't matter. She's gonna take she would take it that way. Like, yes. don't you can't do it. So I was so thinking funny. that as I was like listening to you talk, you know, how in two books you've lost your father and yeah. what he must think reading those and you know. Yeah. You know, I
0: think I th- we're so similar. I think he actually probably exactly understands what's happening. I think it's probably a little bit it's a little bit funnier because I do think I've written a couple of bad mom characters and my mom's wonderful. <laughs> so I think that's and she's also like we we have a lot in common but she's more different I think from me than my dad is. So I think that's probably the funnier thing is when she's reading a bad mom and usually in my acknowledgments I always try to give them a little shout out so nobody thinks that I'm writing about my parents. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's a really good point that your husband made. I I have, I guess, put them through the ringer. I also just, <laughs> they also, they haven't read beige Read* yet. They just know it's a romantic comedy, basically. They know the pitch. They know everything that's on the internet. But it's kind of funny because when I told my mom that I'd sold the book, I like actually never tell them what I'm working on until it's sold. But when I told her I'd sold the book, she was sort of like, oh, I'm so happy you're finally writing like a comedy and you know, I'm really excited because you're so good at the humor stuff in your books. But I, you know, I'm just kind of like looking forward to something that's not quite as heavy. <laughs> and so they're they're in for a rude awakening. That's what I'm saying, really.
2: No, it is funny though. I mean, it's a it's a little of everything. It's like life. I mean, this is yeah. you can have a great sense of humor and have bad things happen and. In yeah. fact, that's probably one of the best tools you can have to get For through sure. a time like that. So <laughs> For sure. It's a really tricky time, I think, humor-wise, because with people
0: who already know me and are very close with me, you know, I I I can go to a fairly dark place, I think, with my sense of humor as a coping mechanism. But so many times, you know, I'm just like on Instagram and I'm like, should I share something? And I think of like a joke I want to share. And then I just think like, it's, it's really hard to know. You don't want people to feel like you're not taking anything seriously, or you don't understand the fear that they're living in because you're finding this really mundane, stupid way to joke about what's going on. But I think, yeah, for a lot of people, humor is kind of the greatest coping mechanism. (laughs) For me, it certainly is.
2: I loved how in your book, you were almost like poking fun also at the inner publishing world sort of snobbery between people who write literary fiction and people who write beach reads or women's fiction or rom-coms, chiclet. There's so many different names for everything. And it's such a crapshoot where your book even falls and what it even means and why these genres even exist, which some people take issues with to begin with. But you have your main characters sort of embody these two different genres. And that's like the whole thing of your book, which is hilarious. So tell me about, I know the comment, well, tell everybody the comment that really got you on this track and how you came up with this. Oh my gosh. Okay. There are
0: so many different threads. I feel like for every book that I write, there are so many different threads that suddenly in a moment just tie into a knot. And I'm like, this is a book. But I have a friend of a friend who... I was talking to, I think it was like after I sold my first young adult novel, I think, I was telling someone I hadn't seen seen in a while, like basically like, oh, I sold my first book and this is what it is. And he was like, he said something like, yeah, I mean, whatever pays the bills. And <laughs> it was such a strange moment because I think, you know, and I can be such a pleaser that I'm not even sure I was like, hold up, that's not, that's not what this is. But I definitely felt my stomach sort of bottom out, thinking people think I'm doing this for some sort of cash grab, which is, I think, a really common misconception with young adult novels, um, because there were a few huge blockbusters. People think that there's like a ton of money in it. And if you anybody can do that, and if you do that, then you're going to be rich. So, yeah, it it was kind of a strange moment to realize someone thought that I was not doing what I wanted to do. And then I was just making a play for money and, you know, dumbing myself down in some way to speak to the masses. And that was not at all what was happening. I was really excited about what I was writing. I have always loved young adult fiction because it gives space to emotion and sentiment. And I think I love literary fiction too. There's, I love books in truly every single genre, but I think when you're in a creative writing program, you're reading mostly male voices, mostly older white male voices, at least until you get into more specialized classes. And in general, you're reading a a more traditionally masculine, I don't know, approach to writing something that kind of strips away emotion. I I guess I guess you just think of Hemingway. All of his sentences are super sparse and brief and concise. And, you know, he's like, he's not going to tell you what his characters are feeling and Probably thinks like, I'm not doing my job if you can't figure it out. I'm not sure. I don't know what he thinks. But yeah, I think you know, I've been drawn to fiction that really leaves room for emotion and that doesn't say like this isn't art if people are feeling things, or this isn't art if there is drama, if there is romance, anything like that. So yeah, I think that comment to me was like, you don't understand like that this is something I I really love and respect and believe in and have thought through. It's not just me making a cash grab. And frankly, I don't think that's even possible. I don't think you can like hate Twilight and then be like, oh, but I could do that and then sit down and write Twilight. I don't think that's possible. I think you're only capable of writing what you are capable of writing. And you know, you can parody something. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
2: Dot com slash moms don't have time. But that's it. (laughs) I also think most writers do not go into this field for the money. No. Or if they do, they need to like turn around and walk out again. I mean, it's like winning the lottery if you have a book that is like really financially... Successful People do it, I think, and I'm sure you, you would agree. They do it for the love of what they're doing and the yeah. craft and the need to, I don't know, connect or share their stories yeah. or whatever. So I don't know. I kind of want to – I'm not happy with the person who said that to you. Um, yeah, I see a little bit of violence in your face, Zibby. No, I'm sorry. I know. It's annoying. I mean, it's really an ac- yeah. a huge accomplishment to sell any work of fiction or any book and to spend that long and work on it and see it published. It's amazing. So – I don't know. I feel like it's it's like how the Oscars celebrate like small indie films a lot of the time or very artsy or things that maybe the most people haven't gone to see. And then the movies that great. everybody has seen don't even get a second look at, for the Oscars. Yeah. So, you know, it's like the court of popular opinion and and then the awards. So I yeah, don't know. I, I think great. there's there's yeah. room for everything is all I'm saying.
0: Exactly. And I think it's a really funny idea that for a lot of people to like something it must be kind of bad <laughs> because i think what people are missing is for a lot of people to like something there's something there yeah there's a there there you know because yes I, a lot of times the thing that everyone loves is not the thing that speaks the most to me or the thing that i will carry with me for the rest of my life it's like when you find that that little thing that other people aren't talking about but is so specific to you that's a really magical feeling but for everybody, for, for so many people to love something, there's something that has to be acknowledged there. Someone is doing something right. And yeah, I mean, I wasn't even writing big YA fiction. I was writing like genre slanted books that were, I don't know, they, they, they aren't huge. And I'm fine with that. I wrote books I love. Beach Read is probably the first thing I've written that's as accessible as it is. And again, I did it because I wanted to do it. I didn't think I was gonna
2: get rich from that. But Beach Read is not YA, is it? No, it is not. Okay. I'm like, did I miss? I'm like looking at it again. I was like, did I make a mistake? Like,
0: oh, (laughs) no, it is not. Yeah. So, exactly. I mean, but I think romance is the same thing. Like, romance. So, that comment, I'll jump back because I'm really moved far off course. So, that comment had always sort of been in the back of my brain since then. And then a couple years later, I you know, I was just kind of having a hard time. The world seemed really bleak and dark as no one can imagine right now. And I just felt like I needed to play and be somewhere that was sort of just like a secret for myself. And so I started on this book that was about writer's block because I also had no ideas. And I was like, well, I'll just write a book about writer's block, but I'll set it in this world that I want to be in right now, which is a warm, beach town with like a lovable cast. I'll just kind of throw in the ingredients that I'm really craving, even though I don't have an idea. And the idea really was just writer's block. That was the prompt for this book. And yeah, I mean, it was the first, I believe, yeah, it's the first book I've ever written for adults and fully about adults. But I was just writing it for myself. And that's always the best policy when you can do that. I don't think you can always do that. Sometimes you owe someone a specific book, you know, but it was a really wonderful experience because it was something I didn't even tell my husband what I was working on every day. I would just go into my office and work on it for a few hours. And it it came together really quickly. And I just set it aside afterward because I wasn't working in the adult space. And I didn't know if it could be anything. And I think it was maybe at least a full year possibly longer before I showed my agent and was like, is this anything? And she didn't really even represent a ton of adult fiction. She has actually since retired from agenting. So I have a new agent who is perfect for this project and the things I want to do moving forward. But she was really encouraging. And she's actually also a writer who's represented by my current agent. So when the time came to find a new agent, she was like, this would be such a good fit. But yeah, so, so I moved into adult kind of just because it was what I wanted to write the same way that I was writing a young adult because it was what I wanted to write not about anything other than the story that I had in me at that time.
2: And how did you tell me the story of selling your first book and your YA book? And
0: Yeah. So my first book, basically, okay, a couple of years before that I had queried for, which I, I, people listen to this podcast, so they basically know the beats of things. But if anybody's tuning in for the first time, querying is basically you pitch your book to agents in an email. So. I had queried for a book probably a year before I actually ended up getting an agent and didn't really get any good responses. And then I kind of went back to editing the book and editing the query because I think the query was kind of the biggest problem there. And I sent out kind of on a whim. I was like, okay, I'm going to send out one query just to see if my letter is any better because I think I was having a really hard time pitching the book. And so I sent out one to an agent who seemed very cool, but I didn't know a ton about. She just seemed great. And within, you know, usually the the response time is pretty slow in this industry because there's a lot of re- reading involved. But she responded in like an hour and was like, I want to see the full manuscript, please. And then I went back to her like query tracker profile where you can kind of read about the agents and realize that she was like the number one most responsive <laughs> agent at that time. She was very young and hungry. So, I was like, "Oh no, I sent this to one agent and now I can't, you know, send it out to a million more and find out like what's going to happen." I don't know. It was just like kind of a tricky situation. So, I sent it to like five more agents But by the next day, she offered on that book, which was a very different book. I did not end up selling it. So we worked on, she offered, I accepted. She was the best. She was perfect for me. We worked on that book for a few months, just kind of cleaning it up. She was a really great editor as well. And we took it out. It was a YA novel and we took it out and got good responses about the writing, but not really about the genre. It was sort of a contemporary fantasy, which was sort of oversold at the time. So while it was out on submission with publishers, I had an idea for another book and I just wrote that without, again, telling anyone because that's sort of my MO. So I wrote that pretty quickly, kind of in the the fervor of <laughs> manic drafting that I love so much. <laughs> and then I sent it to my agent and was like, I don't know, should we work on this while the other book is on submission? And she was like, oh, we need to try and sell this instead. Like, this is fresh. This is new. No one's done this. So we took that out. And actually one of the editors who'd really liked the other book ended up buying it within a month. So that was really wonderful. And it all happened like a lot faster than I expected it to. Yeah. And it was, it was super exciting. I was living with my parents at the time I'd like graduated college and moved home to try and save money while I was paying off student loan debt. And my boyfriend who's now my husband was also like living with my parents basically. And we wanted to get married, but we just had no money and like no no prospects. And suddenly things just sort of came together in a really great way where like he got a new job. I sold my book. We found the perfect little apartment and it was like just the best, just the best month. That's awesome. I like hearing stories that end happily like that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's obviously not just a smooth road after that. It's, you know, my career has been all over the map already. And I feel like it's just starting. And, and you're so young. You, I mean, <laughs> I'm, not so even young. Get, I'm
2: not going to ask how old you are. I feel like that's rude. But you must be I'm under, probably a little bit older. Are you under 30? Just barely. Okay, not right. for very
0: long. Okay, i not okay, for very long, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's still super so, impressive. I mean, oh my gosh. Well,
0: thank you. Thank you. It is it is funny because I definitely had mentors who were like, do not publish before you're 40. You'll regret it. And I was like, thanks. Love you. Bye. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll, I'll do that anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's been really great, but I also feel kind of grateful that Beach Read is really picking up steam. I mean, the book's not even out yet and people are being so positive and so lovely about it, but I'm really grateful that it wasn't my first book because I think it's kind of to my benefit that I have had a rockier road so far as far as like success and sales and all that. I, I feel like it's given me a more realistic viewpoint on publishing so I can really, really, really appreciate this, but not expect it to necessarily ever happen again, which I think is a really good place to be in all
2: aspects of life. True, very true. Have you started working on the next one yet? Yes.
0: Yes. I'm not sure how much I can share. I mean we don't have a hard pub date, but it should be next summer for Berkeley again. Similar vein. I'm really excited to start talking about it. I'm actually finishing well I don't know if I'm finishing up edits. I think I'm finishing up edits we'll see. <laughs> We'll find out. But I'm doing edits right now on the follow up. And it's similar. You know, it's another love story. The The comp that I'm thinking of is When Harry Met Sally. And I'm very, very, very excited to talk about it more soon. It's kind of funny being on the schedule where this book's about to come out. And I'm already sort of working on the next thing and really excited about that and eager to share that. That's <laughs> it's, awesome. it's always kind of a funny schedule. But
2: yeah. And do you have any advice to aspiring authors?
0: Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm sure I mostly don't have anything fresh or new, but my main advice really would be to fail hard and fast. And I mean, you you pointed out I am I'm very I'm fairly young for this industry to be doing this already. I feel very lucky, but I think part of that is you have to be comfortable with failure and know you're going to fail. There's no way around it. The only way to get over those hurdles is to run into them first, I think not to just start speaking in track and field metaphors that I know nothing about. But yeah, I think that sometimes when you fail, it takes a really long time to work up the courage to try again. And that is sometimes a big mistake because everybody you're seeing who looks like an overnight success has failed plenty of times and they're going to keep failing. And you kind of just have to trust that, the failure is part of the process, and the more you
2: can fail,
0: the faster you can fail, the faster you're going to get where you want to go. I mean, that's that's how I feel about it. I
2: see you nodding, so I think maybe you, you agree. Yes, I yeah. agree. I think that's great advice. I think sometimes it's hard to believe when you see all the books in a bookstore and and you think, wow, I mean, this must be so easy for everybody. Look how many books yeah. just came out, right? <laughs> this must be a piece of cake. But literally every single person I've spoken to talks about some struggle or the years it took yeah. or the failures. And I, I have to keep reminding myself that like for every book on the shelf, that author has like many others that didn't make it. Yes. There have been times when all the authors have been sitting there being like, I'm never going to sell a book. So it yeah. happens. It's just like, I don't know, out of, yeah. not in the way that maybe people want it to happen all the time. So.
0: Hardly ever in the way that you think it will happen. That's for sure. But I think the other thing, so this is a little bit more of a cosmic answer to your question, but I did want to share it because I think the biggest revelation for me as far as advice I want to give to creators, artists out there now, I think it's so important to make the thing that only you can make. And I've been thinking about this a lot because I was watching this show, The OA on Netflix. I'll do a little shout out. It's pretty dark, intense, probably not beach readers ideal viewer but i loved it so much and it was so strange and so surprising and it was canceled after 2 seasons and people were really devastated who were watching it because it was just like like nothing else out there and it was this weird like revelation for me to see something i loved that much that felt so brave and new and strange and just like not like anything else and to see it be canceled. Like, I mean, that's, it's sad. I, I wish I could see the rest of the show, but it kind of made me realize like, just because this got canceled, doesn't mean that it didn't have value in getting made in the first place. And it'd be so sad if you were making something that you thought like, nobody's going to want this, but you really want it and you really believe in it. And it feels like important to you. And like the thing that's like what your heart desires to just cast that aside because you don't see it anywhere else i think is a huge mistake and that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to sell that thing that speaks so specifically to you but i i just i think that that's kind of been my biggest revelation that i kind of want to imprint on everyone who's making art of any kind to just say like the thing that you want to make is worthy of being made and you're the only person who can make it if somebody else does it it's going to be different and that's great too, but you're the only person who can do it your way. And that's special and that's meaningful. And I think it's like almost a sort of alchemy that's like, you're putting something into the world that only you could make. And who knows how that changes things? Who knows what ramifications
2: that could have, what that can mean to someone. So true. I love that. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for this beach read, which I am looking forward to seeing scattered all over beaches this summer if hopefully beaches open again and everything is back yeah. to, you know, you know. So anyway, thank you so much. <laughs> Today's episode has been sponsored by Mini Rose. Check it out at minirose.com and get 10% off with code Zibby10, Z-I-B-B-Y, 10. Z-I-B-B-Y 10 go shop for some sweaters. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com.